Hey everyone, welcome to part two of tonight's Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. Yeah, I'm Joe. Joe, so now we're switching to our college football preview part of the show. And I have to show everybody wearing my Auburn Tiger National Championship shirt from the last time that Auburn played Oregon. And Really excited. I'm going to be in attendance this weekend as the Tigers take on the Ducks in what is week one's biggest game. A lot of question marks. Uh, Auburn's got a true freshman starting quarterback in Bo Nix for the first time since the 1940s. Leading off their opening game. Meanwhile, Oregon's got Justin Herbert, who probably could have been a top five guy had he gone out last year. Depending on the kind of season he had, could be the number one overall draft pick this year. What are you thinking about this Titanic matchup in Jerry World this weekend, Jack? Well, I think a lot of people are going to focus on the SEC Pac-12 element of the matchup. Some will talk about it being a rematch of national championship game from the 2010 season. And then others will focus on the quarterback matchup between Justin Herbert being the household name right now, the established starter that a lot of people are projecting to be the number one pick in the draft in 2020 versus Bo Nix, who is maybe that next in line household name in all of college football, is one of the highest rated quarterback recruits in this past year's class. But when I look at the matchup closer, I'm focusing on Auburn's defense line. And I really think that Derek Brown and company uh, will make a big impact in this game and throughout the season for Auburn. I think that that unit will uh, wreak havoc on uh, Justin Herbert. I don't think the Oregon offensive line can hold up. And speaking of Justin Herbert specifically, I have some questions about um, his accuracy as a quarterback. If you're going to be the number one prospect in the draft, I feel like you've got to have a completion percentage north of 60%. And I may be wrong, but I think he was under 60% last year in the high 50s. So he's got to show some improvement to me before I'm really sold on him as a quarterback. He's got to make some bigger throws and some big-time plays in crunch situations. And while this will be Bo Nix's first start, I think that he has the talent. If he relies on his defense, if Auburn can get uh, the running backs going and run the ball better than they've done the last couple of years, I think that... The defensive front for Auburn makes the biggest difference in this game, and I think that Auburn should win. Well, Joe, you're talking about Justin Herbert and his stats. Uh, he did pass for under 60% last year. What was so interesting to me is that he had such an epic year his uh, sophomore year, and then last year just went completely the other direction. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to see if he can pick it up again this year and have a season that could, uh, that could get him back as basically the number one guy or being a top ten draft pick. Uh, but you're right, Joe. I think a lot of people are focusing on the quarterback matchup. And, yes, on the surface, Oregon definitely has an advantage with that. We don't know what Bo Nix is. We know he's got a lot of talent, but he's inexperienced. But the lines, I think, is the biggest story in the game because Auburn's defensive line may be the best in America. Derrick Brown, Marlon Davidson, Nick Coe. Derek Brown's a top five draft pick. Marlon Davidson and Nick Coe both could be fringe first round draft picks. And then you look at they got some big cat Bryant's going to be 
a good guy in the future. He's done some good work right now. And what's going to be interesting is, can Justin Herbert take advantage of Auburn's new linebackers? Because they're coming in with all new starters in the linebacker position. We got Owen Popo, who was the number one linebacker in America. He's got a lot of talent, but yet again, it's going to be raw. And then K.J. Britt, who, while he's been in Auburn's program for a while, it'll also be his first start from taking over to Sean Davis. So, if Oregon's going to have a chance to move the ball, I think it's going to be on a lot of quick screens and maybe take advantage of what right now appears to be the weakness of Auburn's defense, and that's in the linebacker position. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and I think that my other question about both teams is uh, the ability to run the football and, of course, players on skills, skill position like the wide receivers, of course, and I felt that, you know, with Auburn, um, they've had some wide receivers that I feel like a lot of the fans, a lot of people that maybe don't follow the program as closely are still kind of learning the names of this new, uh, uh, these new players because you have some talented guys like Nate Craig Myers that are no longer with the team. So I've really got to see if some of these other wide receivers can step up. And for Oregon, that's very important as well. If Herbert's going to improve his completion percentage, it obviously takes you know the receivers stepping up and uh, helping him out as well. Yeah, Joe, I think Auburn's actually going to – and they have some very talented receivers this year. Uh, Seth Williams, I think, is going to be one of the best receivers in the SEC coming back to Auburn as a sophomore after a stellar freshman year. Anthony Schwartz is kind of a Percy Harvin type. And now that's going to be interesting to see because he's uh, a game-time decision against Oregon. Could be a big blow if he doesn't play. But they return Will Hastings is a little bit of a Hunter Renfro type receiver. And there's a lot of talent there. So Bo Nix gets the confidence to throw it. He's got the weapons to use this year. I'm a little concerned about Oregon, though, because they lost their top two receivers last year. And I believe their top two guys this year are injured going into this game. One of them, it appears, is making a comeback. So that's good for Oregon. But Oregon's receiver depth appears to be an issue heading into this game as well. But Yeah, absolutely. But, Joe, right now I would say I think that Auburn's defensive line, and I think they're going to be able to run it too. I think those are going to be the things that, that push them over the edge. And I actually think that, that the spread right now is three and a half. I think Auburn wins this game by, by double digits. I kind of like Auburn to win this game 31-17. to 17. Okay. That prediction would not surprise me at all. I'm going to say 27-17, Auburn. I mean, the thing about Oregon is I feel like a lot of people uh, around the country, especially Pac-12 fans, just really want them to be back yeah. um, the way they were when Chip Kelly was there. Because the Pac-12, you know, is searching desperately for an identity to have that strong program again. Again, I mean, Washington has been pretty good. Stanford's had some good seasons, but since USC, you know, in the Pete Carroll days, they've just not had that dominant program. And Oregon, just because, you know, they have a quarterback prospect that a lot of people are talking about, and just because they have a good, really good recruiting class, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be automatically back this year. And while I would love to see the Ducks contend in the Pac-12, I do definitely have some skepticism. 
that, that's kind of the way I feel about it too, Joe. I think people are, are pressing their, their hearts content a little too much on this and what they want versus what's actually there. And I think Cristobal is doing a very good job in Oregon. I think he is building up their talent a lot more. I mean, they have a good offensive line. I think they have a very good offensive line. Unfortunately, it's going to be an offensive line that has never played a defense like what they're about to play on Saturday. And probably won't again during the regular season unless somehow they make it to the college football playoff. And I think they have a good defense too, but it's not going to be enough to, to be able to overcome just what's going to be superior athletes, I think, on the part of Auburn. Uh, speaking of a game that has superior athletes, but maybe I'm thinking the other op- direction on, let's look at Boise State and Florida State. Uh, Florida State, you know, we, you and I last year, we gave Willie Taggart a lot of grief. We talked about what's possibly the worst offensive line in D1. Said maybe Willie Taggart didn't even deserve to keep his job for a second season. Now, this is a huge game for him. A lot of people were saying that's a big game for Gus Malzahn about possibly losing his job at Auburn, which I think it is. I think he needs that game to put himself in some more secure footing for the rest of the year. I think this Boise State-Florida State game may be an actually bigger game for Willie Taggart, though. Willie Taggart desperately needs something to go right. Really just a train wreck of the season this first season. And Boise State is a team that you don't get a lot of benefit from beating them. But maybe you get a you get a lot of uh, you get a lot of talking, a lot of tweets, a lot of upset people in Tallahassee if you lose this game. So, Joe, what are you looking at in terms of this Boise State Florida State matchup? Well, I think that Boise State, with their track record over the last fifteen years, has established themselves kind of similar to how uh, UCF has the last couple of years in the American Athletic Conference. Boise State is, you know the premier team really in the Mountain West Conference, and most people consider them to be year in and year out, um, right up there as a contender to win the conference. And I think this year it's more of the same. Um, I think that for Florida State, from their perspective, we've got to see Willie Taggart uh, improve from year one to year two, because it was definitely a colossal embarrassment for him to be a part of the team that loses the uh, winning streak that Florida State had as far as uh, all of the consecutive seasons that they had uh, gone to bowl games and had winning seasons, and that went um, by the wayside in 2018. And they returned a lot of the same players. Uh, I think about most notably Cam Akers, the former top running back recruit in the country. He had a really good freshman season. Last year, he kind of took a step back. And that had a lot to do with Florida State's porous uh, offensive line. They've got to improve this year. And then also, you've got James Blackman, who will be the starter. Um, he, of course, filled in for Francois two years ago when Francois tore his ACL against uh, Alabama. And so Blackman has experience as a starting quarterback, but his play on the field was not that stellar. Can't be improved now as a junior. He was a former four-star recruit in his own right. So I think this is a very fascinating matchup. You have the consistency against Boise State, or up with Boise State versus a Florida State program that's trying to get back on the right track. But ultimately, the biggest obstacle for both teams may be the hurricane coming up through the Gulf of Mexico because there are some questions about whether this game will even be played on Saturday. 
officials are talking about either canceling the game to another week or moving it up to an earlier kickoff because the game's in Jacksonville and uh, the hurricane may be coming through there uh, during the game. Well, Joe, I mean, that, that, would, uh, that would certainly cause some issue. And I think probably, yeah, I think if the, it's a bad weather game, that probably favors Florida State a little bit because that will give Cam Aker more of an opportunity to run it. And I think for Florida State, the less they have to pass the ball, the better with that offensive line. Uh, looking at it, assuming that the weather doesn't go awry, I kind of like Boise State in this matchup. I think that Boise State always has a very consistent defense. Uh, they make you earn your points against them. And if you make mistakes, they'll burn you for it. And I just I don't trust Florida State's offensive line. They've shown me nothing to suggest that against an even average defense, they're not going to give up four or five sacks. And I think that you know Brian Harson's done a very good job at Boise State, built a consistent program. Last year that they lost only two games, were close to being that team that made the New Year's Six Bowls from uh, the group of five. And, you know, it's not, a, it's not a Florida State home game. It's in Jacksonville. And I just don't think that Florida State fans are really that excited about the program to make what should be a pseudo home game, enough of a home field atmosphere to really do anything in Boise State. So I think that there's a little bit of malaise right now with the Florida State program. And I think it's going to get even worse because I think Boise State pulls off the upset in this one. Okay. Well, I actually have a friend that is a pretty big Boise State fan. Um, he went to high school in Boise. He graduated in 2006. And when he was in high school, he served as a ball boy for Chris Peterson and the other coaches. And he unfortunately left the year before they won the PS Bowl against Oklahoma. Oh, man. But um, he still you know, closely follows the program. And he told me he didn't really know what to expect about this game. He didn't really know how good Boise State was going to be this year. So it's hard for me to tell you know, whether they can knock off um, Florida State. I kind of feel like the weather is going to be a factor, even if the game is not canceled. I think that if it's an ugly weather game, that Akers running the ball will uh, make the difference. I think that Florida State can win that ugly game where maybe it's raining, when it's windy, um, because uh, of the ability to run the ball um, against Boise State. Yeah, I think that definitely the worse the weather is, the more it favors Florida State in this game. I think it's probably going to be a low-scoring affair. And while I would say I think that there's definitely a live dog in this in Boise State, if you're looking at a way to go, this maybe the under will be a smart play on this one. I don't think it's going to be a lot of points in it. Mm-hmm. What would you look at as yeah. your final score in this one, you think, Jack? I would say something like a 17-14 to 14 game, lower scoring, um, where points are at a, at a, at a premium. Yeah, I like, uh, I'm like. i going to take Boise State 14-13 to 13 in this one. and would be, It might be a game that a lot of people turn off. Now let's look at the other side of the spectrum, yeah. Jeff. We got the Liberty Bowl with your Rebels. You're wearing your Sugar Bowl shirt right now, taking on the Memphis Tigers in a game where what a lot of people consider to be the best group of five team in America this year, taking on Ole Miss and what's looking to be a bounce back here and the first chance they get to get to a bowl game. Uh, really blown away by the line on this game, Joe. 
I can't remember the last time that an SEC team was a more than touchdown underdog to a group of five team. But right now, Memphis is sitting there as a seven and a half point favorite over the Rebs. What do you see in the reinvigoration of this old school rivalry? Well, I just said with Boise State, I really don't know what to expect. I think it's a similar tune with Ole Miss football this year. Um, it's really tough to see or decide exactly how good the Rebels will be in 2019. But they definitely have some talent on this roster. I think that Matt Corral is one of the more talented quarterbacks they've ever had in Oxford. He reminds me a lot of Chad Kelly. has a really um, strong arm. And uh, the running back depth is probably the best in school history. They have Jerry and Ely, top recruited running back on the team this year. Returns to Scotty Phillip, who almost had 1,000 yards. Also, other role players like Isaiah Willard and company. So, running backs and quarterback, a lot of talent. The offensive line, a lot of new starters, a lot of new faces. So, I'm worried about whether or not they can hold up all season and keep Matt Corral healthy. And then, um, at wide receiver, they've got um, a lot of younger guys that are transitioning into starting roles, and it's really hard to fill the shoes, well, impossible to fill the shoes of uh, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, and Marcus Lodge. And then defensively, they're breaking in a new defensive coordinator, Mike McIntyre, and so the defense has been uh, horrendous the last couple of seasons. Can they bounce back this year? Fortunately for Ole Miss, they do have Benito Jones back for his senior year. So you look at the offense with a new offense coordinator at Rich Rod, defense with a new coordinator, so just kind of a changing of the guard, a lot of new faces for Matt Luke, and just not knowing exactly what to expect until we this, see this team on the field in Memphis. And then on the Memphis side, they have a quarterback that was a four-star recruit coming out of high school, I think he was the number four pocket passer in the 2015 class. He's a redshirt senior, started his career at Arizona State, transferred to Memphis in 2017, started last year, threw for over 3,000 yards. He definitely has some talent. But you're absolutely right, Dan, that the, the line on this game with the spread, it definitely is surprising because I don't think Ole Miss fans see more than probably a seven and five, six and six season, but you definitely think that a game against Memphis that they could definitely win that game, and you don't expect this type of line. Yeah, Joe. I mean, I think this is a is a very important game towards Ole Miss getting to a bowl eligibility, and you know it says a lot about what I think the NCAA cloud can do because I mean. Do you really think if Ole Miss hadn't gotten hit with all those punishments that there would ever be a game they played Memphis where they'd be a seven-and-a-half-point dog? I mean, I know, I know Memphis is good, but I feel like that's a little bit of a, a shaded view of Ole Miss right there with them favoring Memphis by seven-and-a-half. Plus, I think that this is going to be – there's a lot of uh, revenge factor in this game. Probably not a lot of guys outside of Benito Jones were on that last team that went to went to uh, went up to Memphis and lost that game, but I think that they know that this game is important to Ole Miss fans. That it is an old school rivalry that they'd like to see Ole Miss get this win, and I really think the improved coaching this year 
not just with the defense with Mike McIntyre with a lot more discipline, but with the offense with uh, having Rich Rod in there with two really solid running backs and a very good Matt, a very good running back, a court running quarterback in Matt Corral. I think that they're going to be able to get a lot of yards rushing against this Memphis defense and maybe slow the game down a little bit too, which is not what you usually think of with Ole Miss, but which is going to be a good thing against Memphis because there's no doubt Memphis's offense, their quarterback, they're going to get a lot of yards against Ole Miss. They're going to get some points. But the good news is for Ole Miss is Memphis no longer has Daryl Henderson, so they're probably not going to get blitzed as much by the running back. And so that's good. Um, I think that this is a big game. I think there's a lot more motivation on Ole Miss's side in this game than there is Memphis. And so, Joe, I think that Ole Miss is going to win this game. I think straight up, uh, if you're looking at it, I don't think you have to worry about the line. I think that Ole Miss goes into the Liberty Bowl and gets the W in this one. Yeah, I definitely like Ole Miss to win this game. I think that big leads, but when they played good teams with big leads, they never held on to it because they didn't burn any clock. They didn't give their defense a lot of rests. I think that's going to be something you're going to see. And I mean, I want somebody to point me out two more accomplished coordinators than what Ole Miss has right now in Richrod and Mike McIntyre, both highly successful head coaches. And so I really think you're going to see a difference in the coaching and the discipline of players this year. I think you're right. I think it all starts. Yeah, I think Matt Luke had a home run with that. Yeah. And I think you're right. It all starts with a game where they have a chance to win the SEC. They have a chance to go to a ball game. Theoretically, you can win a national championship. And this is going to be their first game where all that's on the table. I think they're going to come out and play a great game. Mm-hmm. All right, Joe. Now let's look at uh, this is something I like to do for all of our listeners and people that maybe go over to Biloxi and play some sports bets or someone that are in North Mississippi you want to go to Tunica or wherever it is where you can legally do it. I like to do our Dan and Joe line of the week. We each choose one. The first one that I look at, Joe, might make some of our listeners upset because there's probably some Bayou Bengals fans out there. A line that really caught my eye is LSU favored by 27 and a half points against Georgia Southern. I love betting on Georgia Southern. What Georgia Southern does, we were talking about Rich Rod burning clock. Georgia Southern runs your old school triple off option. And they get yards against everyone. Even the year that Alabama had the best defense in America in 2011, had one of the statistically best defenses ever 
Georgia Southern put up 28 points against them. I guess that 2011 behemoth. Georgia Southern beat Florida a few years ago. Georgia Southern last year, I bet on them this week, they played Clemson, and they covered against Clemson because even though they couldn't run in their traditional way, they put in a 300-pound defensive lineman as a running back to run against Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, and crew just to get yards because they are committed to the run game. And they burn clock. And so they are a very hard team to beat by a lot of points. And guess what, Joe? I think LSU is very talented. I don't think much of their offense. I don't think they have a great offense. That 27.5-point spread is a gimme. If you got everything, you would mortgage your house, bet on Georgia Southern to cover 27.5 points against LSU because there may not even be 27 points scored in this game because there's going to be limited possessions. I think it's a solid pick to go with Georgia Southern to cover in that game. This might even be a game that's under 17 because I think the Georgia Southern always a tough out. They're going to hang with LSU and limit the possessions. No, I think that's a good point, and, and I said on the show last week, I think an argument can be made that Joe Burrow is actually the sixth or seventh best quarterback in the SEC West. I'm not, just not really buying in uh, to the uh, Tiger offense this year. Um, my uh, bet of the week, I looked at actually, ironically, the Alabama-Duke game. Alabama is favored by 33 points. I know people will talk about you know Dylan Moses' uh, injury today, unfortunately, uh, hurting the Crimson Tide. Uh, I do think it hurts them against uh, more talented opponents. But against Duke, I really do not think that the Duke defense can do anything to stop Najee Harris, his running ability, Jalen Waddle, and then, of course, uh, Tua and uh, the best wide receivers uh, outside of Clemson and all of college football, led by Judy and company. So I think that uh, Alabama will just – really run up the score and win by at least 40 to 45 points. Yeah, Joe, I agree with you. Uh, I, I think that Duke, they lose a lot. There's no Daniel Jones on this on this team this year. I think they've lost like the top three wide receivers. There's been a lot of injuries, too. I saw that Duke's starting linebacker went out. I think another one of the receivers went down. You know, unfortunately, they're coming off an Alabama team that's coming off a loss. And there, there's one thing you know about Nick Saban. He doesn't lose two games in a row very often. And usually that next team that plays a natural loss gets curb stomped and gets in an embarrassing fashion, i.e. Michigan State in 2010 or name any other team. But they usually come out pretty bad. And I think this is going to be a circumstance that's like that. And Duke just doesn't have a lot on defense. They lost a lot of offensive talent. And I really think that if they had Daniel Jones, this Dylan Moses uh, injury might take me in the other direction. But I see Tua and Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddell and uh, Devontae Smith and Henry Ruggs having a game. And I think you're right. I, I looked at Bama to win by at least 40 points in this one. Well, real quick, I was just going to say the last time they played in 2010, I believe. I remember they were late uh, going to the game on ESPN because there was another game that went into like overtime. And by the time they finally went to it, it was five minutes in. It was already 21 nothing, And Mark Ingram was about to run into the end zone for another question. <laughs> so I think it would be more of the same this year. Well, Joe, speaking of, of running, 
what do you see that this injury for uh, Dylan Moses affecting Alabama in the run defense the rest of the year? I think this is a devastating injury. They've been thin at linebacker for a while, and Dylan Moses was probably their highest-rated player coming into the season. And uh, I was really sad to see that today, and I hate it for him because he's also draft-eligible too. Yeah. I would say that long-term, it will probably prevent them from winning the national championship, if I have to say today. Um, I think that it really hurts them against uh, the likes of Georgia and uh, Clemson and even Ohio State with uh, a great running back in J.K. Dobbins. But as far as, you know, SEC competition during the regular season, they may lose to Texas A&M because that's on the road. And I think the Jimbo Fisher will have that team ready. But I fully expect Alabama to be at a minimum 11-1 and definitely still appear in the SEC championship game. Well, Joe, I would say that's probably still uh, odds are likely that they're going to do that. But I will say that it probably leads some other games like LSU and Auburn is maybe a little bit more open depending on what those teams are and their ability to run. Because I do think that Alabama is going to be very much limited in their run defense now because one of the staples they've had when they had a good run defense is great linebacker play. And Dylan Moses was really their only like known commodity at linebacker. So it'll be interesting to see when they play some better teams what level of production people get. You'll see it with South Carolina. I'd be interested to see if we see a little bit of the cracks of it with South Carolina. But you're right. You're not going to really know a lot about Alabama until later in the season. Probably Texas A&M will be the first time you know anything. Right. And, uh, Joe, with that being said, uh, look forward to everyone watching the football, uh, big college football weekend this, this weekend. Enjoy all of our listeners. And as always, I'm Dan. Yeah, Jeff.